All right, the red light is on. Actually, I don't know if that portrays me as particularly <laughs> smart. Have you met my auntie pop? A lot's going to come out in that trial. Yeah, we've had all sorts of shenanigans going on this week in the Congress. La Portada podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. No, that sounds weird. <laughs> Monkey box. Is that an English thing? I've said, well, I've said oh, it. Oh, you said that. Sorry, we're recording. All right. If they did, yeah. is that legal? Well, that's the next point. ¿Listos? ¡Sí! ¡Vamos allá! Buenos días, buenas tardes y buenas noches whenever and wherever you are listening. You are most welcome to La Portada, which is coming to you live on tape from Madrid. My name is Simon Hunter. I'm a British journalist based in Madrid and I'm here with my co-host Lily Mayers, an Australian journalist also living in the Spanish capital. And we are talking to you in your ears because we love Spain and we want to bring you the best stories, news and interviews from this fantastic country. We are here to read all of the Spanish news so that you don't have to, which is is quite a service that we're providing. Welcome back, Lily. How are you this week? Hi, I'm fine. It's been, sound like a broken record, but we're in the middle of another intense heat wave here, so <laughs> it's been real draining. Well, yeah, but, and then how does your headgear help with the he- For <laughs> anyway, our listeners. You're wearing a bandana that makes you look like quite the rock star. What's well, thank the deal you. there? Um, the bandana is strategic. Right. Uh, it is because my hair looks like Uh, can I swear? And uh, Sorry, it's we'll actually, it's a fashion uh, tip for hiding bad hair day. It Excellent. does trap some heat. It does trap significant heat. Your hair looks fine from the part that I can see. Is it just yeah, on top? Yeah, that's rubbish. Right, okay. That's the trick, babe. <laughs> oh, Connor's back. <laughs> Hello, Connor. How are you? How dare you? <laughs> Connor is back on my sofa. Hello, everyone. And he's piping up as usual. Well, I have got no personal news this week, but I've just been watching the Spanish media ecosystem fall apart at the seams uh, this week and turn in on itself. Oh, but this, yeah. again, this is a very Twitter thing. And if you, but this, this, what I'm about to say is probably not going to mean anything <laughs> to people who yes. don't follow all this stuff on Twitter. But after last week, we talked about hoaxes and media attacks on Podemos. It all kicked off at the weekend when more recordings from that corrupt police commissioner, uh, Jose Manuel Villarejo, came out. This guy who did all the dirty work for the mm. state and just used to record He's himself. the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, it really is. So in these recordings, this time he was talking to the director of TV channel La Sexta and presenter of news show Al Rojo Vivo, Antonio Ferreras. And the recordings purportedly had him admitting to Villarejo that he'd gone with the story about Podemos on his show that he knew not to be true. Uh, something that Podemos co-founder Pablo Iglesias honed in on straight away. And basically the, the accusation against Iglesias was one of these many sort of fake news stories was that he had an offshore bank account stuff with cash um, but Ferreras went on his show on Monday denying that this was the case and talking about these audio recordings and the fact that you know he's, he was saying that he was talking after um, you know well after that show had gone out but it's quite funny someone pointed out like if literally if you weren't following all this stuff on Twitter Uh, and he just mm. he just started talking about it without giving any context. And mm. if you're not, you know, one of the four or five million people in Spain who are on Twitter, you would have just been sitting there going, what, what? on earth is he talking it, it, about? It does feel like a storm in a teacup. And if you're not <laughs> looking into the teacup, you have no idea what the, exactly. they're talking about. Exactly. Um, but then there was, a, there was, there's been all sorts of fallout. Um, Spanish journalist Antonio Maestre, he published this good column on El Diario uh, about the whole affair, explained it really well. Obviously, it's only in Spanish. 
Um, but it really called into question the current model of a lot of Spanish TV, where mm. figures such as journalist, big air quotes here, journalist Eduardo Inda of the very dubious Shots webpage <laughs> OK Diario, they're invited onto these shows, often with stories that turn out to be complete fabrications, mm. as has been the case with a lot of the stuff against Podemos. And Maestre actually quit his job at the uh, uh, um, online uh, media outlet La Maria because he said that it was, you know, all of the attacks that he was getting, it was just distracting. He also said that he'd never go on a set with Eduardo Inda again, so good on him for sort of putting his foot down. And then other journalists who are regulars on La Sexta, such as Sandro Pozzi, they've been denouncing the abuse they've been getting on social media as a result of all of this. Well, it should be scrutinised. No, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, this... It's, 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 it is pretty shocking whichever way you look at it mm. um, you know whether you believe Ferreras or not but the fact that he was kind of in cahoots with Villarejo just shows how far Villarejo's reach was mm. as well um, but I think we should let journalist Fernando Garea have the last word we mentioned Fernando last week um, he was on some awful news talk show on Telecinco this week with Eduardo Inda mm. uh, and just to give you a le- an idea of the level of this this show one of their features of the day was an interview interview with a Brazilian prostitute who was caught on camera uh, last weekend being thrown out of one of Madrid's most exclusive golf clubs. Again, mm. this is another thing that so blew up on Twitter. At the <laughs> exactly, another thing that blew up on Twitter. But why would you interview, I mean, why they would interview this woman, I, have I think no that's idea. the danger of these, uh, you know, 24-hour uh, news channels as well, and these long talk shows, is they've just got time that they need to fill. It doesn't matter how low quality content it Absolutely. is. They just need something to talk about. Yeah. So they were talking about the heat wave and the presenter said to Fernando Garea, how do you sleep at night? And he quit back with a clean conscience. <laughs> <laughs> and the faces of the other people at the table were a picture, especially Eduardo Inda. ¿Cómo dormís eh, por las noches? Bien. Ah, sí, tú no, bien. Con el aire. La conciencia tranquila. <laughs> so there you go. A little bonus story there uh, for you. But chances are it means absolutely nothing to a lot of people if you don't... Um, watch uh, Spanish TV and I include Spaniards in that because yeah. the non-Twitter people are just going to be scratching our head uh, our Ukrainian friend journalist Margarita Yakovenko she tweeted the other day I've done a survey no one outside of Twitter has heard about the recordings of Iarejo and Ferreras um, but don't knock what you find out on Twitter this week I discovered that there is a conspiracy theory out there that Pedro Sanchez's wife that's the wife of the Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez is actually a transsexual uh, she used to be a man and they call her Big Begonia rather than Begonia. Why do <laughs> people do that? No, I mean, I haven't seen that, Jesus. But it happened to, it, it's happened to a lot of pop stars as well. Like there was a lot of uh, hype about, remember years ago, people thought Lady Gaga was trans. <laughs> no, she it had just, a, she had a penis. That was, yeah, that was well, supposed to be, and you could right. see it in, in some oh music God, video. Oh it's just, it's pathetic. And it's such a strange, like thinly veiled, uh, like criticism and kind of like it's it's derogatory yeah, like being in trans so is bad. many ways yeah, exactly. and it, it, like it's just oh. I'd love to know how she had two children if they oh <laughs> if my God. It's not even give it air time alright well we've hit the ground running that's uh, we've hit we, the ground uh, it's the ground yeah, we started at the ground lowered the tone right from the start in fact the, the tone started low so <laughs> let's try and raise it a little bit All 
right, so this is our last show of this first um, season. This is the sixth episode of season one of La Portada. Um, but uh, don't hesitate to get in touch if you're catching up over the summer with these podcasts. Um, do drop us a line. You can find us on all socials at La Portada Pod. Um, and it's just a little summer break. We will be back in September. We promise, don't we, Simon? We do. Uh, this week, we will be talking about the idea of a four-day work week in Spain. And we'll also speaking, be speaking to the civil guard who spends his spare time helping English speakers avoid traffic fines. But first, let's turn to politics. There's been a huge amount, considering we're in the run up to the summer break, mm. there's been a huge amount of uh, action in Congress this week. Uh, we had the State of the Nation debate. Um, so, Lily, tell us what has been going on on in the Congress of Deputies. This week, Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez held his first State of the Nation debate and announced a number of measures aimed at tackling cost of living for Spanish families coping with the country's record infl inflation. Um, some of the measures announced this week, just to sort of pare it down for our listeners, uh, were additional taxes on banks and energy companies projected to raise 7 billion euros in two years, a 100% discount for travellers on Renfair train services from September to December, only on multiple journey tickets. Um, and, and that measure is been introduced to, to try and counter some of that high petrol price issues. Um, additional grants for students over the age of 16 already on government scholarships, 12,000 new social housing homes and new subsidies for green energy initiatives and commitments to decarbonise um, the Canary and Balearic Islands. Uh, Pedro Sanchez said these are difficult times we're going through and they're going to get harder as well as um, everything is being exacerbated by the war in Ukraine. During his speech, he also defended his party's position on defence spending, saying this is Spain's opportunity to be on the right side of history. So it was a uh, a week of announcements and debate, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a three-day debate, the State of the Nation. Bit much. <laughs> well, it really is, isn't it? And it's the first, interestingly, it's the first one that we've had. Uh, in seven years, the, the uh, last time that we saw the State of the Nation debate, um, uh, Mariano Rajoy was the Popular Party Prime Minister and Pedro Sanchez was the kind of, you know, the upstart new leader of the Socialist Party. Uh, it's, it's weird to think that uh, Sanchez has been around for that long yeah. in politics, actually, because that's, you know, that's quite a long time ago now because you sort of think about him coming in, you know, obviously he became Prime Minister in 2018, but he's actually been around um, for quite a while. Mm. Um, but I guess that also so just shows this state of the nation debate isn't really necessary. Well, no, it's not a constitution. It's not in the constitution. I mean, it's 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 at the discretion of the prime minister to call uh, one of these debates. And the reason we haven't had one is because we've been on such a roller coaster mm. in Spanish politics since then. We've had the pandemic. We had the Catalan crisis. Uh, we've had four general elections. Um, but yeah, three days really does um, seem seem an awful lot, uh, uh, especially as most of it is just the sort of you know the usual mudslinging and the and the sort of yeah. em empty rhetoric from from each party. Well, it's like free press, really. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a chance, a chance for them to come out mm. and sort of you know show their wares. Yeah, reiterate <laughs> the, the party platform if, and try and bolster some more support. Exactly. If anyone's still listening by the end of the three days, um, the plans that Sanchez announced, not surprisingly, got sort of attacked by business associations. The stock market uh, in Spain actually plunged it by about five percent, mm. in particular bank stocks, obviously, yeah. because uh, this is a windfall tax on on banks but uh, it did please his partners on the left let's not forget that Sanchez is governing in a coalition with Unidas Podemos and he's not got a working majority in Congress so that means he needs the help of smaller parties to get stuff done mm. so these measures obviously have pleased partners on the left um, the far right has come out immediately to oppose uh, so parties like Vox are unhappy with the plans but the centre right is kind of keeping quiet it's quite interesting you know, so for example, Theodoranos Citizens Centre Right Party, or small, small, ever smaller <laughs> Centre Right Party. Um, you know, the, one of their partners internationally, uh, a party in Belgium, um, is behind a similar tax mm. that's being implemented on power companies. But despite that, Citizens just basically a bit like the PP came out and had no response and the UK and Italy are also introducing similar measures yeah and Germany did the the train tra- public transports um discounts as well yeah so spain's not alone here um but the popular party is just extraordinary first of all interesting point here the new leader of the popular party alberto nuñez fejo was previously the regional premier in, in Galicia. He was at the debate, but he couldn't take yeah, part. He sort of cuckolded. Yeah, because he's a Senate. They put him in the Senate. He's not a deputy, so he can't actually take part. So, so he's just uh, writhing in his seat. <laughs> yeah, he's just sort of sitting there watching it all unfold. He was uh, the party was represented by Kuka Gamara, who's the uh, the spokesperson for the Popular Party, and she just got up and you know after all of these. Uh, announcements by Sanchez, uh, you know, addressing the problems with the economy. Mm. What did she start talking about? ETA, the mm. now defunct Basque terrorist group ETA, which waged a 40-year bloody campaign for independence mm. for the Basque country, but has now disappeared. Well, I they mean, dissolved in 2018. Exactly. It just doesn't exist anymore. It, uh, it announced its ceasefire, I think, back in 2011. I mean, mm. this goes back a long way now. She basically started with a minute of silence for Miguel Angel Blanco because it's 25 years since that popular party councillor who was, you know, a, a kind of a sort of a, a, a not someone of you know, great national importance of he's a very minor, you know, councillor, mm. local councillor, and Etta very shockingly kidnapped him and killed him. Mm. Um, she started with a minute of silence for him. En su recuerdo, quiero comenzar mi intervención guardando en mi tiempo un minuto de silencio. That killing, by the way, was, you know, mm-hmm. that's turning, really turned the tide. Point, yeah. yeah, it was a turning point. I mean, even people that were supporting Etta at the time turned against the organisation when, when, when Blanco was murdered. Um, but it was a very, I mean, you know, to start talking mm. about Etta in, in that context and, and not to, sort, you know, this is the point where may, maybe the popular party could think about 
supporting the government. But it's like you said a couple of episodes ago, their job in opposition is to oppose and that they think that they would would feel that their positions would be threatened if they were to agree with the government on anything, even if it's to benefit their constituents. Exactly. This just seems to happen uh, in particular when the right are in opposition, that they just cannot find it in themselves to support um, a, a left-wing government. Um, Fejo, he kind of dodged the question about his, you know, when he was asked about his view on the government plans, he, he just he said something like, oh, it's impossible. Yeah, he said it's, it's impossible to be against something you don't know about, which is a very sort of Mariano Rajoy response. There's something about Galician politicians. No. <laughs> just like, well, it's the same in Australia that anyone, any party who's in polit- in opposition say the same, say the same line. They just, they just talk around the you know talk around the the question. He he condemned it as sort of populist measures, um, but uh, and and also he claimed that how basically he argued that taxes on banks and power companies those costs will just be passed on to customers uh, and he said that if, if that was the case then they would come out and oppose them so it was a very mm. as you said Lily it was like a very non-committal response it was also it was also pretty it was it was quite strange and then and then citizens started you know attacking the Prime Minister for getting the support of the Basque radical left i.e. E.H. Bildu the party that uh, has its origins in Batasuna which was the political wing of ETA uh, Theodanos attacked the Prime Minister for getting the support a building for the democratic memory law and that was also yeah. um, passed uh, we're talking on Friday that was passed yesterday mm. so tell us a bit about that uh, legislation well, the democratic memory law uh, Soe and Unidos Podemos say it aims to protect all victims both of the civil war the dictatorship and the tra- anything that happened during the transition Included in the law is a commitment to the search for missing people from civil war and the investigation into possible human rights violations between 1978 and the end of 1983. So it's to try and make sure that the the rights of survivors are enshrined in law and there's a commitment to try and sort of help people into the future. Vox, Pipi and Ciudadanos voted against the bill, but after it was debated, as you said, in Congress this week, it was passed with the controversial support of Bildu. Um, now that the law goes to the Senate uh, before it is um, enshrined. But the PP argued the law is sectarian and exclusive and an attack on the transition and that they would aim to repeal it immediately if they seize power. Um, their deputy asked the executive how they have the little shame of agreeing with the political heirs of ETA. Another time ETA has come up this week and, and it, it did seem like ETA became this like buzzword for... Uh, it's just headline bizarre. And, it's and, just bizarre. It, mm. You just feel like the popular party and sectors of the press are just completely mired in the past. Because I, I freely admit, you know, when I worked at El País, I just mostly read El País. Obviously, I mean, that was my job, and you know, and mm. I didn't look too much at uh, other newspapers. But since I've left and I've been working for for other you know media outlets, I've been having a, a bit of a wider look at the papers, and I cannot believe how many stories that El Mundo run every day. There's something on their front page about ETA, and uh, you mm. just th- you just think like. 
you know, it's done. It's time to move on. And if you keep dredging up the past like this, and also the PP see it as a vote winner, but uh, quite a lot of the time, mm. and this happened this week, they, they really annoy the um, victims and the victims' associations who feel like they're being, probably quite rightly, feel like they're being used as political pawns. In response to the pushback, Unidos Podemos's Enrique Santiago said, democracy has been very generous with the heirs of Franco's regime, so it's now up to the right to have a little generosity with the millions of victims caused by a dictatorship that they still justify, which I thought was a fair response. I mean, it it is, in a way, this week, the debate devolved into who, how do you classify a victim? Like, which side of politics decides who the victim is and how does history classify winners and losers in that way and Mm. and I thought that was interesting yeah and the prime minister's response was to say I have bad news for you and the right wing bench ETA no longer exists and also interestingly just before we move move off this uh, topic the Bildu spokesperson Merti Aithpurua um, she actually did get up and uh, speak in Congress after all of this, um, you know, all of this debate from the PP, uh, and she made a statement um, to the victims of the uh, of the of Etta's campaign. She said, "Nothing can be done about the past. We know that nothing we can say can undo the pain caused, but we are convinced that it is at least possible to lessen it from a position of respect, consideration, and the memory of all of the victims." Uh, she said that we feel hugely feel the suffering of the victims and we are trying to commit we are committed to trying to mitigate it to the best of our abilities so um Bildu won't go as far as condemning Etta's actions and this echoes what um Mm. Another Basque uh, radical left leader, uh, Arnaldo Ortegi, said last October. Um, but what they are doing, and um, this is relatively new, is to express recognition of the pain uh, caused to the victims uh, of ETA. Um, as for the other measures that you mentioned, yeah, the uh, the grants. Um, the, Sanchez got a very good quip in there about the grants um, because in Madrid, our beloved uh, Premier Isabel Diaz Ayuso has announced that she's planning to grant scholarships to wealthy families so that they can send their kids to private school. So if you earn... (laughs) If you earn up to 150,000 euros, uh, you can get grants to uh, send your kids to a posh school. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. <laughs> it really is. En fin, ustedes que van a plantear un inversorso para millonarios en Bora Bora con cargo al erario público, unos unos cheques de combustible para para los yates. Um, and Santos got up there and he said, uh, he sort of said, you know, so what, what do you think about these grants? Because, uh, and he's, he made a reference to Ayuso and he said, uh, what's next? Trips for millionaire pensioners to Bora Bora paid for by the public purse. Checks to pay for yacht fuel, <laughs> which I thought was it's quite nuts. funny. It's nuts when we're talking about how Spain's record inflation and cost of living measures to try and just help families yeah. get through the week without busting their savings. And Sanchez justified the, uh, the windfall taxes on the banks, saying that, you know, the government spending about like 15 billion euros this year on these on these measures uh, aimed at uh, helping citizens um, also they managed to get I mean, so much legislation passed this week they mm. got the anti-crisis measures such as the the uh, subsidies on on petrol and diesel and those were passed last night so um, what does this all suggest well it, it kind of suggests that if they're keeping the partners in congress happy including you know the coalition partner Udinos, Unidas Podemos that suggests that the government can do what it wants to do which mm. is to see out the full term uh, and that means that there's you know another year before we've been running into elections but 
Anything could happen. The European Commission is suggesting that inflation will hit 8.1% in Spain this year and a major uh, economic crisis could be on its way. I think we're all sort of aware of that, aren't we? Um, so who knows uh, whether the government can ride it out as the uh, road ahead gets increasingly rocky, not to mention where the country's finances could end up with all of this uh, big spending that's been going on. let's move on to our next story then which is this plan this trial for a four-day working week in Spain now this is one of these stories that the foreign press just loves to jump mm. on I think I've been I've, I think I've seen more about this in English over the last year or so yeah. um, than I have in Spanish so uh, Lily tell us what's the plan we're talking about it, why it's in the news at the moment is Telefonica, one of Spain's biggest companies, offered its 18,000 Spanish employees the option of cutting down their weekly hours from 37.5 to 32. If they took it, they would have to accept a reduction in their salary, although the company offered a 20% bonus to try and make up some of that loss. But this week, the workers almost unanimously rejected the proposal. It was a pilot program which started during COVID and with employees working extended hours at home and then it was offered to everyone. And I think it was interesting because internationally, yes, if you see this headline, you think, gosh, I would love a four-day work week, but would you take the pay cut? Yeah. And, and with the economy as it is, can you justify that, you know, with children? Would you take it, Simon? Uh, I I would, but depending on the, depending on the, the amount of pay that I was going to lose, I think mm. like you said... The uh, issue that's facing a lot of people, as we were just talking about with the other story, is the increasing cost of living. And, you know, to lose uh, a load of money at the moment, it was, mm. you know, it hurts. A, yeah, exactly. It really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> people are going to be very careful before they make big decisions like that, especially people who've got families. Yeah. I, I, I love the uh, time off element of it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, I could see why international, um, you know, viewers or readers see it and seize on it and and other countries are now trialing it aren't they no absolutely yeah and it, it, the thing about you know the the old cliche about spain but you know as with any good cliche it's, it's kind of true <laughs> is it's a great country to live in but not mm. such a great country to work in so if you're looking at an option where you can live more and work less then yeah i'm all for that that sounds yeah. great and also one of the big problems about the spanish economy is low productivity so if this is something that is aimed at mm. you know and Which it successfully it's yeah exactly it, it increases productivity then then uh, yeah all for it the, uh, so this dates back this actually came around from mas pais which is one of these um leftist parties that's kind of splintered out of uh, podemos uh, formed and led by Inigo Errejón. Uh, he said at the time when it was first proposed, he said Spain is one of the countries where workers put in more hours than the European average, but we're not among the most productive countries. I maintain that working more hours does not mean working better. Um, so it, the idea is to see if you know staying on the uh, reducing hours but staying on the same salary can you know the company can maintain its productivity uh, mm. and uh, and its profits but also you know it has an effect on climate change and it uh, mm. aims to address the mental health of um 
and the mental health of uh, employees. The, one of the Spanish firms that always gets cited uh, in with these stories is, uh, is a software firm called Del Sol, which is down in the south of Spain, and it was the first country, it was the first company in the country to uh, to trial this uh, last year, and they report that it's actually gone very well. They, they the company said it increased turnover by twenty percent. It's in, improved the working environment and the quality of their um, service. But yeah, it was interesting the way it went down at Telefonica. I mean, if you kind of if you look at it, um, this is re- this is interesting because what people were looking at losing was the short Friday working day. Because mm. a lot of companies, like my wife, for example, the idea is that you work from summer you, hours. Yeah, you, well, yeah, you get summer hours as well. So like, normally companies work you know eight till three or nine till three in the summer um and then the rest of the year they'll work sort of an eight hour day uh from monday to thursday and then on friday you kind of get to leave at three um and a lot of companies still do that so they're going to lose that friday day of work and what telefonica was proposing there was that you would lose the hours um but they would pay you one extra hour so it's like a 20 percent bonificación as they call it like a sort of compensation um but uh, yeah i just uh, like we said uh, at the top of the story it's just not really found the support in telefonica mm. because i guess people are very aware of the you know this potentially impending crisis um unions back the plan but they say that the reduction in salary needs to be lower um mm. if if people are going to take it on also if your wages are already low which they are mm. everywhere in spain it seems um, yeah, how, how does that be, how, to lose five hours of pay? It's not really feasible for some families. No, exactly. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a great way to attract, attract staff. If you are a company where you you know you need mm. to attract people, or you need you know you can't find people, or you need to attract the best people. I guess all companies want to attract the best people, but you know what I mean. It's all over LinkedIn. Have you noticed? Is Have it? you been on LinkedIn recently? Well, not not necessarily this news of Telefonica, but um, I think coming back to work post lockdown COVID all all companies are starting to reflect on what is the best productivity model and employees are starting to um, want this enshrined into their salary working from home, flexible hours I know Reuters this week announced that they would uh, allow work from home flexibility for for all of their employees I think it's, it's becoming more and more focused on yeah it's like balance but you know talking about attracting employees I just kind of feel like in Spain it's not really it doesn't really work like that does it (laughs) it's like you know certain companies where I've worked before naming no names it felt like well you know if you don't like it then we'll just there's Mm. 10 people waiting behind you to take your job Um, and obviously in a country that's got uh, traditionally very high unemployment uh, I guess it's not something well certain companies would need to, to offer great incentives to staff but uh, yeah it doesn't it seems like it's a sort of uh, buyer's market in Spain doesn't it but mm. but yeah um, like I said Spain's a fantastic place to live but it's a tough place to work so any measure that shifts that balance yeah. is fine by me All right. 
right, so let's move on. We are now going to talk to Francisco Javier Morales, a civil guard who, in his spare time, runs a Facebook page called N332. Now, if you haven't seen this page, you should definitely start following it because not only is it very useful, but it's also entertaining. Its basic aim, as Francisco will explain now, is to inform English speakers about the rules of the road in Spain, which in many cases differ from those in countries such as the UK, meaning that people end up getting fined uh, for rules that they're not necessarily aware of. So if you ever thought that the Spanish police were just out to fine you and make money, well, Francisco is the antidote to that. So let's mm. have a listen. Francisco, well, welcome to La Portada podcast. Uh, let's start right at the beginning. Can you tell me how the Facebook page N332 came about? All right, uh, let me tell you the story. I'm a civil guard traffic motorcyclist and was assigned to Torrevieja in the year 2007. When I started working, I didn't speak English and I quickly realised that in this area of Alicante, we have around two or three million British residents and tourists. So it was clear that I had to learn English as quickly as possible in order to do my job. And once I learned English by speaking to people, I realised that a lot of the time they were committing infractions in Spain but without knowing it because they were applying the rules from their own countries. I saw it as unfair because we were fining people, for example, for driving with children in the front seat, which is prohibited in Spain but they didn't know these rules. So that was how I got the idea. These days, all of us have a mobile phone with us all the time, so I decided that every time I was on patrol and saw a traffic infraction, I would take a photo, write a little text in English, and share it on the Facebook page so that people would see the rules in Spain and wouldn't repeat the infraction. People began to realise that there was a civil guard behind this page, and word began to spread, and the number of followers on the page started to rise. And the page began to get such popularity that I got messages from British associations asking me to come along and give talks on road safety in Spain. So I created some presentations in English, explaining the differences between the laws in Spain and in the UK. That saw the page grow even more. People want to follow the rules, but a lot of the time the problem is that they can't find the information in English. If you want to find out how you are supposed to drive with a bicycle, a pet or a child, the Spanish DGT Traffic Authority doesn't have that information translated into English. A lot of the time people ask a neighbour or a friend, but they don't get the right advice and then they end up with a fine. As a result of all of this, I've ended up with a really good relationship with the consulate. In fact, we were invited by the ambassador to the Queen's Jubilee celebrations in Madrid. So, summing it up, that's how the page came about. Brilliant. And from what I can see from the page, Francisco, things kind of really changed as well once the uh, pandemic arrived. Yes. When COVID arrived, I asked British volunteers who spoke English and Spanish to help because we had the huge challenge of translating all of the official state bulletins into English. The day that a bulletin came out with all the restrictions for each region, that same day we had to publish it in English. If we wanted people to follow the rules, they needed to know what they were. 
We have a lot of British retirees here, and they don't speak Spanish. And it wasn't just for British people. English is the universal language, so we are doing it for all of the foreigners here. How can I find someone who is travelling in a car with a passenger if they didn't even know the rules? So the idea was to take on this new challenge. Every time the Prime Minister came on TV to announce a new series of restrictions, that same day we would use volunteers to translate the text so that we could publish in English before it came into force. It was a huge challenge, and the truth is that it has brought us thousands of new followers. Yes, and we were doing the same thing at the English edition of El País, the Prime Minister, uh, during the pandemic. He always used to come out and make an announcement on a Saturday night or a Sunday lunchtime. And the official bulletins, the uh, boys, as they're known, they're really difficult to translate. It was really difficult, above all, because there were restrictions by region. Because COVID was advancing in different ways, we had some restrictions in Murcia and others in Valencia. And when they were lifted, that was also done in different ways. So I think that people really valued all the time that we spent translating that information. And that helped the page to grow. Yes, I saw a recent post where you said that the page had reached 8 million people on Facebook, uh, that you didn't know how it had happened, but thanks anyway. That's right. I looked at the statistics the other day and I got a message saying that we had reached 7 or 8 million people on Facebook. I suppose that because a lot of tourists are coming, people are looking at the page. Those are figures that a national newspaper would get. It really caught my attention. And I posted the message because I thought, well, maybe someone has written about us in a national publication or something, bringing lots of people to the page. Yes, because what you can see on the page is that while there's serious information, there is also room for some light affairs, shall we say. Yes, we like to keep it light with our videos, like the one recently from Marbella, with a girl sitting on top of a car travelling along a motorway, who was filmed by another motorist. It's not like when you go to the ministry webpage and it's all very serious. We like to have a mix. The publication of the girl on top of the car reached a lot of people, but we also published the fact that the driver had been fined and that her antics had had consequences. And Francisco, just going back to something you said before, um, how did you actually learn your English? Where did you start with that? Well, first, my wife is from abroad, and I also joined a language school. And then with the civil guard, I went to Lebanon as a volunteer on an international mission. I practice my English every day because I live in a neighbourhood where everyone is British. And so, from day to day, I'm always practicing it. And I guess you are not just helping people online. I hear you've come to the rescue of quite a few Brits in your time. Well, mira, una vez... Yes, one time a few years ago in the summer, we were on patrol near the airport and we passed someone walking on the pavement who looked in really bad shape. So we carried on patrolling, we just thought it was a homeless person. But later, when we were coming back from the airport, we saw him again. So I said to my colleague, let's stop for a second, let's see what this guy is doing because it's 35 degrees. 
It turned out to be an English guy who said that he'd been robbed in the airport and that he was trying to walk from Alicante to Torrevieja. He was sweating, he had no shirt on, he had blisters on his feet. So I gave him money from my wallet and told him to take the next exit, and from there he could catch a bus to Torrevieja and buy some water. And I remember the guy who was so sweaty giving me a great big hug. He left smelly stains all over my uniform, but it made me feel like I had done a good thing, because I felt really sorry for him. He said that people had seen him, but that no one had stopped to see if he was okay. He had already walked 30 kilometers in that heat. Well, all that's left to say, Francisco, is well done. Un aplauso, because I think it's a really, really great project and you've done a fantastic job. Thank you very much. And the next time I'm in Madrid, we'll have a coffee. Thank you so much, Francisco. Hopefully speak to you again soon. What a guy Francisco is. <laughs> I think he continues our track record of only interviewing lovely people. Yeah, lovely people, absolutely. Yeah. He's kind of like a a giri guardian angel he of really the highways. Is. No, he, he told me a couple of stories. I asked him to send me a couple of uh, voice notes. Sorry about the quality of the audio, by the way. That 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 interview that interview not only was it never meant for broadcast, but also that that was the pre-interview. I called mm. him up just to ask him a couple of questions, but he he just he gave me such good answers that I ended up, you know, that was it. That was the interview. Uh, but I asked him to send me in a voice note, you know, some anecdotes and basically all the all the stories. He sent me three really funny mm. stories. That was my my favourite one. But yeah, he was just like a lot of them just involved him handing out money to, <laughs> to yeah. people who or were just completely stumbling screwed. across nah. uh, a stranded or in need Britain. Brit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, shirtless and uh, probably <laughs> inebriated. <laughs> yeah, bloody and inebriated Brit. Um, so, yeah, and uh, thank you so much to uh, my friend uh, and a voice uh, actor colleague, Craig Stevenson, who very kindly um, did the dubbing there from his... He was great. I know, and he's... Oh, my God, you can tell he's a he's an absolute pro because the uh, he's got a home studio as well. As you can probably tell because the quality was amazing. You couldn't hear my wife in the background in that one, no. could you? <laughs> All that is left on this uh, final episode of the season is Lily's roundup of other news that caught our eye. There's three stories for our roundup this week. On Monday, the former Minister of Culture and Sport, Jose Girao, died at the age of 63 at his home in Madrid as a result of a cancer that was diagnosed 16 months ago. Heatwave, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, it's been a scorcher in Spain this week, 44 degrees in places like Sevilla and Córdoba. All the autonomous communities, except for Asturias, Murcia and Cantabria, were put on high alert. And Ryanair strikes. The national broadcaster RTVE reports Ryanair crew members have extended their strike for another 12 days and the stoppages will run from July 12th to 28th. EasyJet crew members have also called a strike, which is scheduled to last until July 31st. The strikes are causing havoc for summer travellers, some of which have reported losing their luggage at airports and general chaos. The strikes have been organised by union groups to try and force the airlines to negotiate a collective agreement. 
The USO Union says Ryanair is the only international company in Spain without a collective agreement. All right. Well, thank you very much, Lily. Let's wrap it up there. Our sixth episode. And that's our first season of La Portada Aww. podcast. It's been fun. It's been great. And oh, thank oh, you, no, thank Connor. You. Oh, Connor. <laughs> our armchair pundit is always applauding. Uh, thank you very much. You know what was really lovely? Um, this morning I saw on Twitter one of our followers... Peter Murray tweeted where he was when he listened to the to the to last episode, and he said, "You know, wouldn't this be a fun thing to for everyone who listens to show us where you're listening from?" And I think that's a really sweet idea. This morning, Dane Gilby also tweeted me showing where he was watching, uh, listening to episode five in Barajos. And uh, yeah, I think let's keep it going. Show us where you're listening. If you're if you're going back and starting at the top, or you haven't heard us before, show us where you're listening. And Absolutely. Where you're from? Yeah, tag us in any of the socials at La Portada Pod. I mean, if I did that, it would just be me in the kitchen making <laughs> yeah. the kids dinner because that's where I listen <laughs> to yeah, most yeah, of w- my washing up most of my podcasts. Where are you going on holiday? What's the plan? The summer plan, uh, Lily and Connor, to get out of this heat? We are definitely leaving. Madrid. Yeah, as soon as, as possible. Anyone in Madrid will know it's a ghost town in August. Um, heading out of the country, might go visit Portugal sometime, might go to Italy, not sure yet. Lovely. Okay. Where well, are I, you going? Well, you know where I'm going. I'm off to Benidorm next week, which I'm very excited about. That's where my in laws have chosen to take us. So I'm planning on there taking quite a lot of pictures of Brits in the wild and mm-hmm. posting them on Twitter. So look out for that at Simon in Madrid. Get in touch with me anytime you want. Uh, my DMs are open. Yeah, mine's at Lily Mayers and my DMs are also open. And yeah, we'll be back after the summer break. So take care of yourselves. Enjoy the summer. Stay safe. Stay out of the heat. This episode was recorded on July the 15th in the city of Madrid. Your hosts were Lily Mayers and me, Simon Hunter. And providing technical support and armchair punditry and occasional applause was Connor Doyle. (laughs) So please, (laughs) we love you too, Connor. So please subscribe wherever you are listening and tell your friends get the word out that there is a new Spanish podcast in town hasta septiembre see you in September